0: Amen. Good morning. Morning. Welcome to Grace. Y'all sing with us. We're going to sing out together. I thought we'd start the uh, Christmas season right, and so we're going to sing out. Joy to the world. Y'all sing out with us.
1: Lord and uh, the suffering, Lord, and, uh, we, Lord, could uh, come before You in rejoicing and all uh, confidence because of uh, our sins being cleansed by, by the sacrifice of Your Son, the shedding of the blood. Thank You for uh, His resurrection, Lord, and by that we live, Lord, in Him, and uh, Father and the Son. Thank you that uh, it is in you that we can sing before you. Nothing we can ever do, say, uh, accomplish. Uh, and Lord, we are, uh, we do and have fallen short. We right? pray for your forgiveness, Lord. Just that you would uh, uh, just come into your peace and your grace, Lord, which is in Christ Jesus. Bless the rest of this morning. We pray for you. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Okay, so, um, magical things happen around Christmas, including <laughs> miniature guitars. Um, no, but uh, actually, we uh, this is a song that I guess not a lot of people really know. I had not heard it very many times before this Sunday, but uh, we're going through the that, that Advent uh, candles, and we have a little packet, and, and this is one of the songs that's in there for this week, um, talking about love. Um, and so, just as we uh, as we uh, sing this song, just remembering that the the love that God has for us, um, and you guys can just sing out with us, and feel free to clap if you'd like to. I might get a little crazy, but we'll see. <laughs> i That he became a human, something that was created, God, and, and didn't die for our And God, we thank you um, for that truth. God, help us to be affected by it and to, to love you more because you first loved us. It's <coughs> me, my friend. Amen.
2: You to open up your Bibles to Isaiah today, Isaiah chapter 11. We have been in our series in Hebrews, a better savior, and we've been working through the book of Hebrews. We're going to set that aside now for the Advent weeks in December as we uh, ponder and study and think about Christmas and what it meant, uh, the incarnation, what God was doing in the world 2,000 years ago and bringing Jesus to us. We want this. Christmas celebration this time of year to be focused on Jesus and who He is, what God promised to Him. So we're going we're to look at that a little while. We'll come back to our series in Hebrews uh, in January in the new year. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 8, so that'll be a lot of fun in the new covenant. Uh, but this week we're going to call this sermon Hope. We're looking at the hope, the longing, the waiting uh, that Israel was going through before Jesus came. Um, winter is the perfect time for Christmas. Uh, if you study it much, a lot of scholars don't think Jesus was actually born December 25th. As a matter of fact, some people think there is a good reason to celebrate Christmas uh, at this time of year because they think the wise men came and visited at this time of year. Um, but no matter when he was actually born, no matter when his actual
1: birthday is, we, we celebrate it, at
2: least in most parts of the world, at this time of year. And I think it's a perfect time of year, symbolically, to celebrate this because of the winter. Now, it's not something we really understand here in Central Texas, but I, I know at least half of you have lived in other places where the winter is really the winter, right? any of you live somewhere where you, there's a real winter where it actually gets cold, right? We're just starting to taste cold here a little bit. Um, but for most people, it's been cold and cold and cold and cold, and it's been a long, dreary winter before Christmas ever comes, right? And so that's a, that's a beautiful symbolism For God breaking into our spiritual winter, into the the pain and the brokenness and the waiting and the the deadness and the coldness that there is in our lives, waiting for Jesus. And and we've talked about this already a lot in Hebrews, that Jesus was promised, that He was something that the Old Testament people were looking forward to. There was a hope and a longing that Jesus would come. And we see that really fully in Isaiah 11. If if, uh, you don't have your own Bible, you can grab one of the Bibles under the chairs, we're on page five hundred. In it's 75 in those Bibles. If you don't have one at home, you can keep those. Um, before we go there, I want to just read a verse. So, so stay in Isaiah 11. We'll read that. But I just want to read the, the promise that God first made to King David that he would someday have a Messiah coming through his family. So I'm going to read that. It's out of 2 Samuel. If you want to write this down to later, 2 Samuel 7. He says, "When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I'll establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be to him a father, and he'll be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you, in your house and your kingdom." shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So we know that part of the fulfillment of this was God was saying, "Your line, y'all are going to be kings over Judah. And that was true. But he was saying there was this deeper promise that his throne would be established forever. Someday, a king, a son of David would come that would establish an eternal throne. And that king is Jesus. That's picked up in Isaiah 11. And we'll read in Isaiah 11, verses 1, 2, and 3 you'll follow along with me. Isaiah 11, 1, 2, and 3 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. So from that family. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and in the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and in His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Of the Lord. Isaiah was was writing to a people who were undergoing judgment. Because the kings in the line of Judah from the family of Jesse, these kings were disobedient. They weren't fulfilling this. They didn't delight in the fear of the Lord. And so in the midst of the pain and rebellion and the brokenness that was going on in Israel, that the nation was falling apart, it looked like the promises were being thrown away. God gives these promises to Isaiah and He says, No, this will be fulfilled. This is going to happen. And I think it's very similar to where we live right now. We, we have these promises that God is making all things right through Jesus. But we look around and we, we see everything in disarray, right? We see the evil, we see the brokenness, and, and we wonder, God, how is this all going to work out? And, and God gave promises to Judah and through Isaiah, and He gave promises to us today that, yes, there is evil in the world and there is all the brokenness, but, but this day is going to come This king will fix everything. He will delight in the Lord. He'll be a different kind of king. And that's the hope that we have in Jesus being the answer to that promise. Let me pray for us and we'll we'll, uh, open up the rest of chapter 11. Father, we pray that you would teach us this morning, that you would open up our eyes to see the hope that is fulfilled in your son Jesus. We thank you for this shoot that has come up out of Jesse, for hope in the midst of, of deadness. And, and Lord, we just pray that you help us to hope in that, in the midst of the, the brokenness that we live in. Um, Lord, help us to hope in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was thinking of, of the longing and the pain that, that the Israelites were going through as, as their rulers did not delight in the Lord, the rulers were unjust, their rulers were unfair, they basically uh, used their power like bullies to just take things from other people. Um, I was remembering a story, uh, a time in my life when, I think it was the first time really, I faced a bully. My parents had just been split up for a year or two, I think I was about six, maybe seven years old, and spent a lot of weekends at the apartment complex that my dad lived in. And there was a great little playground at that apartment complex, so that was really nice. Um, But for the first time, when I was just six or seven years old, I ran into a bully. And I'm out in this apartment complex playground, and this bully, this bigger kid, who's 12 years old, tells me he's going to beat me up. And he tells me I can't swing on the swings anymore. And then I'm not welcome there anymore. And I was in shock. I and mean, I think I, I must have lived a pretty sheltered life because I've never had anybody even say anything like that to me. I was the youngest in the family, so I was always kind of just taking care of me, you know. And, and, and so I was, just, I was in complete shock. I couldn't believe this person. You know, I'm so nice. Why do they want to beat me up? I I none of it made any sense to me. And I, I felt powerless and I felt weak and I felt hopeless. You know, here was the only fun thing to do at this apartment complex, and, and now I was locked out. Now I was an outsider, now I wasn't going to be able to enjoy it. And in that, that moment of hopelessness and in that moment of, of fear um, and feeling powerless, I, I did what I think any self respecting six or seven year old would have done. I, I just ran the other way, right? Just, just went back to our house, and I never went out to the playground again. Basically, that, that was how I handled it. I thought, that's the safest thing to do in this situation. There's this evil, scary man who's going to hurt me out here on this playground, so I'm just going to run away. I'm just going to try to go in the other direction. Well, there, there are people in any in this situation. There are people that, that are oppressed, that are hurt, that are treated unjustly, and the Scriptures promise that there is a righteous king that's going to make that right. That there is a just king that is coming, that's going to be different from these kings that they knew at the time. Like I said, at the time, of Judah, these unrighteous kings that abused their power, these bullies that hurt other people, there, there was a righteous king that was coming. There was going to be a righteous king that would delight in the Lord. And, and he brings hope. We've been reading, uh, some of us have grabbed these. and been reading through these uh, Advent devotionals. Uh, last week was hope, and so we're kind of focusing on hope. This week we're going to tie it into what the theme is for next week, which is love, and the love that God had for us is why He met that hope and that longing that we had. This week we want to focus on the hope and, and the longing, and what He tells us in Isaiah 11 is that He is bringing hope for the oppressed. For, for those that are weak, those that are abused, those, those that have been hurt, He brings hope for those in that category. He says that this king, the spirit of the Lord, will be upon him, right? We just read that in verse 2. In verse 3 it says, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And it says, He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. So instead of being like the bully and the unjust king that, that handles things unfairly and looks at the surface, Right? This judge is going to judge according to real righteousness. He's going to look beyond just the surface of things. In verse 4 it says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meat of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So so this promise of hope, it's kind of scary. I mean, this this judgment is is somewhat what uh, those in the army or those that work maybe for the police execute, right? This power of the sword that the Bible talks about in Romans 13, bringing justice, right? Um, Overcoming wickedness. It says he will kill the wickedness. It says he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, meaning through his mouth, through what he speaks, he will bring judgment with the rod. He'll, he'll execute justice. Now, now, justice is not something hopeful for those of us that have done wrong, right? But justice is a great hope for those of us that have had wrong done to us. Does that make sense? Um, a lot of us say, we, we only want grace, we only want grace, we don't want justice. But, but if you've really been wrong, if you've really been hurt, you want justice. That, that brings hope, to know that someday justice will come. That, that actually brings hope into your life. That is something to look forward to. That's the kind of king that we want. We want a king that would actually execute justice, that wouldn't allow bullies to hurt people anymore, that wouldn't allow people to do terrible things to other people. That, that is a hopeful place to live in, a king that leads with righteousness. One of the ways that this is described in verse 3 and 4, this, this kind of king, is that if he's going to not judge by the surface of things. Try to set in verse. Three, he's not going to judge by what his eyes see, decide and dispute by what his ears hear, but he's going to see deeper than that. This is a theme in, in throughout the, uh, the Bible of God seeing to the heart of man, right? When, when the Israelites first picked a king, they picked King Saul because he was big and handsome, right? And then he was unrighteous and so then the next king, God said, I'm going to pick him he's going to be the runt of Jesse's family because I see through to the heart and he picks the king who is who is a man after his own heart. And this is a the theme that comes up again and again in the Bible. You see Jesus going head-to-head head with the Pharisees. Remember the religious leaders? What was the word that he would call the religious leaders? Sometimes The Pharisees, remember that word? For someone that's a fake? That, that, that word was... was
1: yes, I, I'm sorry, I can't read. you. That hypocrite is the word. A hypocrite, right? When everybody mumbles at the same time. I,
2: I don't know why I ask questions like that. But it's a hypocrite, right? The word is hypocrite, and literally that means someone who's wearing a mask. It means a sage actor. It means someone who's putting on a face. I found this weird picture online of, of someone holding a smiley face in front of them. talking to a friend that works at the store, and they were like, yeah, we wish sometimes at the store we could do that. You know, we could just stick the fake smile in front of us, because you just get tired of smiling and trying to greet people after a while. And, and Jesus says that in the spiritual life, that's that's not how we should do it, right? In the spiritual life, we shouldn't just put on the mask and pretend everything's okay. That, that's a core value we have at this church. That we would actually be honest with each other. That, that's part of why we encourage you to, to get in real relationships with each other, to shake each other's hands, to meet each other, to have lunch together, to, to gather each other's houses, to pray with each other, and, and to be real. And to set down the mask. Um, you shouldn't do the spiritual life with, with a mask, pretending that you're something that you're not. Christianity, of all religions, gives us the opportunity to be real. Part, part embedded in the, in the reality of what it means to be a Christian is to confess that you're a sinner, and that God, because of His grace, forgives you, he gives you His righteousness. So you don't have to pretend to have false righteousness. Well, this is the theme. Again and again, Jesus was condemning the Pharisees for pretending they had a righteousness that they didn't really have. And that's what an unrighteous ruler does as well. Right? He judges things from the surface, but he doesn't see through to the heart. And says, Jesus, in his righteous reign, his righteous ruling as a king, who will, who will bring justice for the oppressed, he's going to actually see things as they really are. He's going to judge things rightly. In the context of Isaiah, this was a problem for all of the people, really, of Israel at the time. It was an epidemic problem throughout all of Israel, that they were fakers, the beginning of the book of Isaiah, if you look back to Isaiah chapter 11, I mean chapter 1 at the very beginning, um, you see that he's he's kind of judging the people, not just the unrighteous kings, but he's judging the people as a whole for, for faking it. And he says in Isaiah 13 I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. A solemn assembly would be like a church gathering, right? A a holy gathering. He's saying, I can't handle your your sin combined with your church gatherings. He says in verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. New moon would be like a monthly Sabbath, monthly celebration. So he's saying your your celebrations and your church gatherings, your, your worship gatherings, my soul hates. He says in the second half of 14, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. And so there's this harsh, harsh warning from God through the prophet Isaiah that we should not fake it, that we shouldn't have this, this fake spirituality where we're wearing a mask and we're pretending to be something that we're not. And what's amazing to me is that that's connected with oppression. Right. I know this this may seem like a big circle, but he's saying a a ruler who oppresses people and hurts people lives that kind of life. He judges things on the surface. He just looks at the outside of things. He just looks at the flash. He looks at how pretty the outside of something is, and he doesn't really judge the real value and the character underneath. So when we become a society of people who make our religion all about the externals and all about the outside things and about looking right and saying the right words, but not really having in heart after God, we then begin to develop a culture that allows for people to be oppressed. And saying, in contrast, we should follow Jesus, who is a righteous ruler, who sets people free from oppression, who helps the weak, who helps the poor, because he sees through. Right? He, he's not trying to fake it. He is actually righteous, and that's the kind of people that we should be. So at Christmas time, in the midst of, of the evil and and the, the things that have all gone wrong in the world, and all the frustration we may have with God, why haven't you fixed it yet? We should hope in Jesus, who is fixing it, and who promises he's going to come back and fix it completely. One of the verses we had during the, the song was in John 3, where it says, he came the first time to bring salvation. Right? When he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, he sent the Son into the world to save the world, not to condemn the world. But he's returning and he's he's going to judge the wicked. Someday it will all be finished, and he's giving us this time to hope in him and share that hope we have with other people. The next thing that we see in, in verses six through nine is that there's a hope for creation. This is one of the uh, one of the really fun sections here. Uh, Eleven six through nine says, The "Wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat." Now I know a lot of you are city people, but this is not how animals normally interact. Okay, so I just want to let you know that. So the wolf would normally uh, eat the lamb, and the leopard would normally eat the goat. So it's saying they're, they're hanging out, right? They're being buddies in a weird kind of way that's, that's not normal here. It says, And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little, a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play with the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is a great image, this promise of, of the knowledge of the Lord covering the earth like the waters cover the sea. Uh, parallel passages on 1 car, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, 2, 14. That's another passage. that gets that same idea, right? That this glory and this righteousness and this goodness of God just covers the whole world. And it gives us these, these crazy pictures, right? These, these exaggerated pictures of, yeah, babies will just play with cobras, right? And little children will lead uh, leopards lepers and, and uh, the wolves, and they're gonna hang out with the little goats. I and mean, I mean they're all gonna there's just gonna be this complete redemption of all of creation. So so all the the fighting, all the hunting, all the killing, all the pain that we see in creation now, that that's gonna go away. I think of of uh, just all the the broken things, right? Just storms and disasters and everything going on in the world. I was thinking of the uh, Elmer Fudd cartoon with the said, blowing, whitening, swiping, right? You know that one? You know what I'm talking about? That, that whole, just, all that goes wrong, you know, storms and drought and, and everything. God's redeeming all of that. He's resetting it. The world will be all of the good, right? But but none of the bad. And we, we don't even completely understand what that looks like. When we read texts, like this. It seems so bizarre. It seems almost comical, right? It just—it almost seems weird. But the promise of redemption, of what Jesus is bringing, the completion of redemption, is a restored creation. We talk about this a lot. It's not just angels floating on harps like like hair Bears, right? That, that's not what, what heaven is. But it's a restored creation. It, it's a new heavens and a new earth together, to those things being joined, everything being made right. That there will be eating and drinking and, and you know, all these things. We will have physical bodies. We will have glorified bodies. When Jesus returned, He interacted with the disciples. And we don't understand exactly how that works, right? Like, He, he passed through walls. Yeah, he was a physical person. He didn't really need to eat, but He ate
1: and enjoyed it. You know, we don't
2: know really fully what that's going to look like. But what we seem to see, this thread that we see throughout the Bible, is, is all of the good we know of creation, but none of the sin, Right? But, you know, just imagine sitting outside and playing with your kids in those small moments in time where just everything works, right? And nobody cries, and nobody gets hurt. You know, you've had a couple of days like that throughout your years, right? Just a day here, or an hour here, an hour there. That's what the new creation is going to be like. No pain, the snake doesn't jump out and bite your kid. They all get along, and they play, and everything is okay. I, I was thinking about what this looked like in my own life. And uh, I was thinking of this happy pill that I took one day, and uh, you'll have to follow me on this one, I'm not not suggesting this is the answer.
1: I just remember this feeling,
2: I had this terrible uh, poison ivy and it was out of control, and the doctor gave me a a shot, and that didn't really do it, and so I had to take these prednisone pills, they were taking prednisone, these steroid pills, and it's really amazing, because not only does it cure your poison ivy, but I've had chronic back pain since I was 15, and it just magically went away. I felt like I was 10 years old, and it was amazing, and apparently, I asked the doctor about this, apparently it would, it would be very bad for me if I just kept taking it my whole life, so it's not the magic pill that I could, I could take forever, uh, he said other problems would come, so I couldn't keep taking it, but that, that just gave me like a little window into, wow, someday God's going to restore creation, someday my back won't hurt anymore, and, and I know some of you suffer with things much worse than that, and I'm... I feel like a whiner even bringing it up publicly, right? And I just have this small back pain that's there, that nags. It's not really that bad. But but some of us have terrible diseases, right? Some of us, our our loved ones are suffering with horrible things, and the promise that we look forward to is is God's going to restore all that. That's all going to be done away with. You know those of us old men that were running around the football game a couple weeks ago? The the new creation means running around without the pain, right? we, We can enjoy these things without the disease and without the death, and that's something we look forward to. As we think about how to apply this, uh, I, I think what we need to remember is that we don't just care about the souls of men. We, we do care about the souls of men, and that will always be priority one, right? That that we want people to know Jesus. You know, Jesus said, "Don't be so afraid of those who can kill the body, but be afraid of those who can kill your soul." Right? So Jesus makes that a priority. That we want to be concerned with the souls first and foremost. But, but we also should be concerned with creation, right? The, the Great Commission is go and make disciples of all the nations, right? Restore people to a right relationship with Jesus, and, and we need that. And so the priority is understanding who Jesus is and the salvation we have in Him. But the first commission came back in Genesis, where, where God said, Fill and subdue the earth. He said, Multiply paradise, I've given you this wonderful... Paradise is Eden, and I want you to multiply and fulfill fulfill the whole earth and, and spread paradise all over. So, so the Great Commission is is the answer to sin, but we're still under that first commission in Genesis one and two, right? We're still under that first commission, that we should actually care about this world. That we should do our jobs and do them well. That we should water our grass and we should plant trees and we should care about the physical world and we should make good meals, and we should care for our children. And so, we need to be careful that we don't separate off and say, all God cares about are spiritual things, right? And He doesn't care about uh, the world, or trees, or anything physical. He doesn't care about food. He doesn't care about clothes. He doesn't care about all that. He only cares about the Gospel. No, the, the Gospel is the restoration of all things, right? And all those other things can't be restored until we've been restored into a proper relationship with Him. Romans talks about this. It says, all of Creation is waiting and groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. And and that as the sons of God are revealed, that restores everything else. In Romans 8, it says it this way, in Romans 8, 18. Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, there's that word again, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So Paul says the present sufferings aren't, aren't even worth comparing to the future glory we look forward to. So again, Paul's willing to forego food. Paul's willing to forego and give up clothing. Now, knowing that he's got all this wonderful Uh, things to look forward to, right? That everything's going to be given to him. So he's willing to forgive the comforts of now because he knows he's got ultimate comfort in the future. And the the reason he's forgoing those things now is to spread this message, to share this hope that he has with other people. It says, We know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait Eagerly for God's and His sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's part of what we're waiting for, right? We have the deposit of the Spirit. So we've been given the Spirit, and the Spirit assures us, right? The Spirit tells us we're okay with God now. God loves us now. We don't have to be afraid of Him anymore. And he's forgiven us, and we have that deposit, but we, we await the full completion. We await the redemption of our bodies, the restoration of our bodies. And if you're like me, as you grow older, you wait for that. Uh, in an even stronger way, right? But when you're still young, you still have this illusion that, hey, what I've got now is okay, right? You, you, can, you can think in your 20s, this is not bad. I kind of like this body. I want to stay with what I got here. But as you grow older and as death and decay creeps in, it becomes more and more real that you are longing for the redemption of your body. So that's the future that we, we look forward to. That not everything is, is the way it's supposed to be now, but we're longing for that future perfection. Because for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so my encouragement for us is that we should long for that day that Jesus can to restore everything. We should be like Paul and be willing to say, Yeah, I, I think the current suffering is not even worth comparing with the future glory and greatness and wonderful things that, that I look forward to. And I'm willing, and I'm willing to, to give myself to others. To share God's goodness with other people. Because I know He's given me everything. He's given me everything I need in And I wait and long for that redemption, for that completion that is coming. You see, if, if we put all our chips in the now, if we're, we're banking everything on now, the, the bodies we have now, the money we have now, the houses we have now, there's, there's nothing to look forward to. Me. But if we're looking forward to giving everything in the future, and it makes us much more free to give away, to share, to love with whatever we have now, right? And that's what he calls us to as we, as we hope for the restoration of creation. The last thing that we see is, is there's hope for outsiders. Hope for outsiders. In 10 through 16, and because we're, we're going to have communion today, so we're, we're running a little short on time, I'm just going to summarize what we see in, in verses 10 through 16. not even read all of these, but what we see is, is all the nations rallying around this future king. This king that we're longing for, someday all the kings are going to rally around him. It says he will be a signal for the peoples in verse 10. And the nations will come and inquire there where God is. It says in verse 12 that he'll be a signal for all the nations and for the banished of Israel to dispersed. Of Judah. So you have a couple of different categories of people. You have all the nations, you have all the outsiders. The nations, usually in, in the Old Testament, the nations just means the non Jews. It means the outsiders. The word you hear a lot of times is the Gentiles, right? And so all the nations will be gathered to him. And then he also has this other category of people, the, the banished Israelites, right? In other words, the remnant. So it's these people that have been driven from Israel, but they still hope in the God of Israel, and he says he's going to gather them back together. So there's two categories of outsiders that God says he's going to gather back to himself. One category is those uh, that have always been outsiders. They were never on the inside. God says, you can can come in. You can be a part of this, what we're doing. And then there's this other category of people that thought they were God's people, but things are not going the way they're supposed to go, right? And sometimes we as church people feel that way. We understand what it feels like to be the banish of Israel. Those who are part of God's people. And we know that we have His promises, but our lives are not reflecting it. Right? We, we don't live in the fullness of the restoration that we're longing for. We, we still live in the brokenness. And He says He's going to gather all those outsiders in. And they're going to be gathered in to Himself. I have a picture here of someone standing outside a window. That's supposed to give you a feeling of being on the outside, right? Looking in. And He says, if, if you feel that way that this Jesus is the one that's going to restore you. He, he's going to bring you in from, from being out in the cold. He's going to bring you inside into His presence. And that's the hope that we have. I want to encourage you that, that if, if you already feel like, I'm one of those people, but life isn't working out, I want to point you back to that hope we have of full restoration. Like he talks about it in Romans 8. He's given you the deposit of His Spirit. But it's, it's right and good that you are longing and groaning for forgiveness. That is appropriate. You, sh, you should be. And I want to encourage you to continue hoping and continue waiting. For those of you that, that don't feel like you're one of his at all, I want to encourage you that, that what sometimes happens is we say, you know what? The cross is not enough to take care of my sin. I understand that the cross can forgive that person's sin and that person's sin, but my sin is too great. And I want to challenge you to know that What Jesus did on the cross as the perfect sacrifice, as the God of the universe, giving Himself. That is enough for your sin. That's enough for anyone's sin. No matter what you have done, no matter how far outside you feel, He has given Himself for you. I just want to close giving you the rest of the story of the bully thing on the playground. As we move from hope and longing in this Advent season to now the theme of love, I'm reminded of of God fulfilling the hope and the longing we have out of His love for us, right? In Romans 5, eight says the ultimate picture of God loving us, that God demonstrates, that God shows us His love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that that is the picture of love. We have this older brother that, that loves us and that's willing to give himself for us and is willing to stand in the way for us. When I was six or seven, I had a brother that was around 14 years old, uh, a big boy. So, so when I ran home, my brother was there. I didn't even think of asking him, but he asked me what was wrong. And I said, well, there's this kid that wants to beat me up. I don't know why. I didn't do anything wrong. And Matt, he said, well, I'll help you out. And, and so he goes to the playground with me. And, you know, and suddenly, now I'm not afraid anymore when I'm standing behind my big brother, who I know can take care of me. Right? When he walks out of that playground and I'm standing back a few feet and he tells that kid to get lost and to leave me alone, that kid turns tail and he runs. And I know that now I'm taking care of because I've got someone on my side. And that's the story that we have in, in Isaiah 11. That, that Jesus is this big brother that we're longing for that's going to step in and rescue us. He's going to bring restoration for those who have been oppressed. He's not just going to bring restoration to those that have been oppressed, but he's going to bring restoration to all of creation. And that is what we long for this time of year, this Father, we thank you for the hope and the restoration you give us in Jesus. As we share in communion together, Lord, I pray that we would remember your sacrifice. You demonstrated your love for us in this. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord, for giving yourself
3: for praying Jesus.